if you're a, a first-time guest, I'm so glad that you're here. We're a church. We're a gathering of people that, that love Jesus. We love the mission of Jesus, and we want to live this out together. Um, we're also a project. Ain't no one got this figured out, and that's proper English. Ain't no one got this figured out. We're all on the pursuit to discover who God is and how we can love Him and others together. And so you're in a safe place today, especially if you've ever messed up. You're in a very safe place God loves you, the church loves you, and if you've ever been hurt by Christians or you've been hurt by the church, here's the sincerest apology I can give on behalf of the church at large. I'm sorry that you've been judged. I'm sorry that you've been hurt by the church and Christians. And we are on on a rampage in Greeley and northern Colorado to change that. We want people to, to be loved and to be supported by the church, not to be pushed off, disenfranchised, and embittered by the church. So if you come in here today a little bit on edge, hey, loosen up. It's good. You're going to feel a lot of love today and a lot of grace today. I'm glad that you're here. I am Aaron, and I guess I'm the professional that that Bill alluded to. I'm going to speak today um, on Acts chapter 8, verses 9. Uh, Well, we're going to start in verse 9. This is going to be an experiment message here. If if your first time guest here, there's... Excuse me, there's Bibles um, in a, under a chair next to you, and there's some in the back as well. And if you get one of those blue Bibles, it's on page 633. But we go verse by verse, and you're going to find out here in a little bit why we go verse by verse through the Bible. <clears throat> I was counting, we have done 24 uh, messages in Acts, and 24 messages has got us all the way to chapter 8. Don't worry, there's only like 29 chapters, so we're, or 28, we're going to be here for a while, uh, so we're not rushing through it, we're taking our time, because we believe this, that the Word of God is real. It's withstanding time and space, and it's a very beautiful message that we don't want to rush through, we want to apply it to our everyday life. So today, let's just jump into Acts chapter 8, I'm going to start reading in verse, in verse 9. <clears throat> now for some time... A man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. Verse 11. They followed him because he had, ama- he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip... As he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Pause. We're going to stop right here. Multiple times you've heard me if you've come to Church Project. If not, this may be the first time you hear it. Context is key. When we open up scripture, context is key. How many of you have ever done the, the Bible roulette thing where you just open your Bible and you're like, read it. You're like, oh, word from God. I got a word from God. Now, that can happen. I'm not going to discredit that. But there's great, there's great danger in doing Bible roulette. There's great danger into jumping into a passage and just saying, God, what is this? And then thank you for that. There's a great danger in that. Context is key. Because so far, if we read verses 9 through 13, we're like, awesome. This is amazing. This, this message, this is a message. This will preach right here. Like this, this dude comes to know who God is. Well, what's important to remember is context is key. 
another thing to remember is what did the original writer intend for the original audience? This was written thousands of years ago. It wasn't like written yesterday for you and mine. It was written a thousand years ago by an author to someone he was, he was writing to. And so what did that author mean to say? And what was he trying to say to the original people? This is big. It's big when you open up scripture to kind of read the verses before, read the verses after, open up commentaries, get busy in understanding this thing called the Bible. It's amazing to me how many Christians... Just take pastor's words for it. That's scary. One, if you knew me, you'd be like, I better read the Bible on my own. (laughs) He's just not that smart. (laughs) It's amazing to me how many Christians can passively approach Scripture and they don't get busy understanding it. We can say that our lives are built around on the rock of Jesus Christ and we sing it and proclaim it, but we enter into our Bible study just casually saying, God, give me something cute for today, and we don't get busy with it. But yet, we'll get busy when we go to college, well, some of us, (laughs) and, and study for our tests and understand stuff and memorize stuff. Christians, Get busy understanding the Word of God. Get to know what the writer is saying and, and what he's writing to and what the context is. And here's the danger of proof, proof texting. That's what this is called, proof texting. If you were to take verses 9 through 13, you would say, this is awesome. Close the Bible. Let's preach it all day long. But this is just the middle of the story. It's just the middle of the story. There's two ways to study Scripture, and these are fancy nerd terms that I love, okay? Isogesis. Isogesis is a term that means to read into Scripture, and so when you jump and you open up Scripture, you already have in mind what you wanted to say, and so maybe you're going to go into a great debate with your friend, and so you're going with a topic, and you're going to twist Scripture to say whatever you wanted to say. How can I make the Scripture say what I wanted to say? Isogesis. By the way, that's bad. Exegesis is the opposite of that, and that's approaching Scripture with your hands open and your heart open, saying, God, tell me whatever it is you want me to hear. Let the Scripture speak truth. And you know what? If it doesn't sit right with me, it's probably not Scripture's fault. It's probably my fault. And God, rearrange my life so you are the Lord of my life. And your words, I can soak in your words. And I'm not approaching Scripture as something that I can use as a weapon. I'm approaching Scripture as something that I want you to change me over as I read. Exegesis is beautiful. Eisegesis is scary. And we, I told you I'd tell you a little bit earlier, we do a thing called expository teaching, which means we're going verse by verse through the whole book of Acts, and we're taking our time. Why? Because it would be tempting to jump in right now in the middle of nowhere and pick verses 9 through 13, preach a great message on just this, and then next week move on to something else. But when we go verse by verse, we are forced, and I am forced, to stay true to Scripture and what Scripture is saying. And sometimes I've had to preach messages that I thought, God, why, why is this in the Bible? You seriously want me to stand up and say this? It holds our hand to the fire, and it makes it so we go to Scripture and say, God, speak to me whatever it is you want me to hear. So in verse 10, it says, And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. I'm going to just breeze through a couple thoughts real quick because I'm only covering half the verses right now. In verse 10, I would say this, this is to pose a question for you. What are you doing with your influence? 
obviously, this man Simon, who was practicing sorcery, had great, great influence. And look in verse 10 what he does. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great and power of God. And in verse 11, they followed him because he had amazed them for so long with his what? Sorcery, with his tricks, with his magic. He had great influence. And how was he using his influence at this time? And we can, not, we can pause and we can say the same question for us today. Because yes, scripture was written for an original audience, but God also in his great wisdom knew that one day you, 2,000 some years later, would be sitting with scripture and he wrote it to personally speak to you as well. So the question would be, what are you doing with your great influence? And you might say, I don't have great influence. And I would say, if you're breathing, you have influence. You have influence right now to nudge the person next to you and say, isn't this guy an idiot? <laughs> you have influence to do and say whatever you want as a mom, a dad, an employee, as a student. You have influence every way that you go, the way you carry yourself, the way that you speak, the way that you think. What are you doing with your great influence? As Christians, hopefully we are influencing others to the great love of God. We're showing them that God loves them, and there's this beautiful thing called grace. So what are you doing with your influence? And verse 11, this verse 11 is one of the scariest things for me when I read this. Verse 11 says, with this verse 10, his great influence, what did he do with it? Well, look at verse 11. They followed him because he had, am- he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Wow. As a pastor, that makes me really, really nervous. That... This man, Simon, had such influence and such leadership and maybe such charisma and such leadership that these people, it doesn't say how many, but a lot, this is a city at least, were following because of his sorcery and his bag of tricks. And I go, oh dear God, may no one at Church Project ever follow Aaron because of his great sorcery and magic and bag of tricks. Talent, skill, preaching abilities, whatever it may be. And hopefully for you, when you're going to your workplaces and everywhere that you go, you're using your your influence in a beautiful, beautiful way. And you're pointing people to God continually. There's a saying in a church, and I don't know who said it first, but it's absolutely true, especially when you're thinking about church at large. And the saying says this, what you win them with is what you win them to. And so the idea is this. If you win them to church to come on Sunday mornings with your great bag of tricks and your fantastic worship and your great illustrations, what are they looking for? What are they looking for the second time they return? The bag of tricks, the wonderful worship, your great illustrations. What you win them with is what you win them to. And if you ever, ever hear me preaching anything other than the love of God, pull me aside. And say, Aaron, I rebuke you. You're trying to win people with your great bag of tricks and your illustrations and the great worship. If this is ever anything other than the love of Jesus Christ and His grace, we are done. So how are you using your influence, church? And are you winning people to God or are you pulling them away? And are you trying with your great bag of tricks to win others to Him? If so... Why don't you just cut that in half and win people to him? Don't worry about your bag of tricks. That's the talent. That's the influence that you have. Use it wisely, but never let that outshine the love of Jesus in your life. Amen? 
may you not follow me or CP Church Project for any other reason than you see me and Church Project pointing to Christ. I thought that would get an amen. Huh, old hippie lady? Yeah, there you go. All right, I like that. That was an inside joke, so don't worry about it. Afterwards, just go up to Deb and say, what's up, old hippie lady? That's awesome. Let's try this again. May you not follow me or Church Project for any other reason than you see me and Church Project pointing to Christ. There you go. I like that. Let's keep going. Just keep that in your mind, all right? Um, Deity and humanity. Deity and humanity. Deity is the Redeemer. God is the Redeemer. Humanity is in need of that Redeemer. Humanity is in need of that Redeemer. May I never act as God. May I always act as someone who is desperately in need of a Redeemer. In all my words and all my actions and everything that I do and say, may you, never see, may you never hear me stand up here and boast how wonderful and excellent and proud I am. May I stand up here and may it be, I am desperately in need of a Redeemer in all aspects of my life. And may I point to God in everything that I do and say. And may Church Project do the same. All right, let's get to verse 12. Uh, verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. I know it's a subtle difference when you begin to look at the wording here, but look at the wording at the very beginning. It says they believed Philip. Keep that in the back of your mind. They believed Philip and what Philip was saying. Subtle difference, but what if they would have believed God and the big message? Not Philip. They would have bypassed Philip, but they would have believed the message itself. Subtle difference, something to think about later on when you're sitting with Scripture. Uh, So here it is. Here's a question for you. Um, Is there a belief, because they said they believed, right? In verse 13, Simon himself believed. And in verse 12, the people believed Philip. So the question is this. Is there a belief of thought that bypasses the heart? Is there a belief of thought, intellectually, that bypasses the heart? What do you think? I think so. You can, you can believe something up here, but not totally believe something. And I think what we have right here in verses 9 through 13 is a whole bunch of people and Simon believing of thought, but not believing of heart and, and mind and being and, and, and the entirety of who they are. And so if we're jumping in this passage and we read just verses 9 through 13, all we see is people hearing a message and going, I believe that. That's true. And they think they're all good. Let's get on to the next part. Uh Uh-oh. I won't get a drink, Chris. Mm -hmm. I need to get an easier bottle to drink out of. All right, let's go. I'm going to read verses 14 through 25. A lot of verses. Okay, but I want you to keep in mind that question right there. Is there a belief that that can be up here, but not right here? And I think these begin to answer it. In verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. 
When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent. Verse 22. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. If you want to go on and continue to do a, a study of this man, Philip, on your own, a character study of him, you'll soon read through the history books that this man just slowly fades away out of the picture into Gnosticism, he fades away. He never really believed. I mean, he believed. He said, what you're saying is true. Like, intellectually, I get it. But he never really believed. A, 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 a factual belief is knowing. Like, I know it. You would agree. that. Like, that's factual. Got it. I believe that. But total belief is living. And so we see Philip here factually going, I believe, but total belief, he completely misses it. Here's some, uh, it's uh, the same Greek word is used in these verses that I'm about to read. The first verse is James 2.19, and, and I think this is what we have right here in James 2.19. You believe, that Greek word, you believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Yeah. Even the, even the demons believe. Same Greek word. Acts 16, 34. We're not there yet. We'll get there in about four years at this pace. <laughs> Acts 16, 34. This is the opposite belief, but same Greek word. And catch it. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe the same Greek word in God he and his whole household were changed. You see the difference between the first belief, even the demons believe, but the jailer believed and his whole house was changed. And then later on in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, Crephas, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed, same Greek word in all of these, in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed, same word, and were baptized. There's a difference between believing factually, intellectually, and believing with your heart and totality of who you are. We see this in Philip. He believed, but he didn't believe. Look at verse 16. 
Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come to any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of Lord of the Lord Jesus. You know what this reminds me of? Monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> this reminds me of simply rote. I'm just going through the motions. Like I'm just regurgitating what I know. This reminds me of going through the motions. It reminds me of the phrase, fake it till you make it, right? It reminds me of your heart's not in it. You just know what you're supposed to do, so you're just doing it. You're just copying someone else. You, you, you saw a youth pastor do something great in his life or her life, and so you're going to do the same. You're going to imitate them. You're just going to fake it till you make it. You don't truly believe it. Monkey see, monkey do. Like, this is what this reminds me of. Because in verse 15 it says, Simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as heretical as you may hear, think that this sounds right here, just simply baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may I ask you a question? Is it possible to get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and not even mean it? Yes. It's possible to proclaim, I'm a Christian, but not even mean it. You're like, you know it, but you don't know it. The totality of your life isn't living it. In fact, you might be the one that's judging people for the way that they live and their actions, but you yourself, you've missed the whole grace message. It's absolutely possible to just do a monkey see, monkey do Christianity. You see someone you admire, that you appreciate, and you just try to imitate their life cross the T, dot the I, and try to do what they're doing. But all along, the message is missing your heart and my heart. Christianity is not a formula. It's an all-encompassing being. And I hope one of the, the, the things that you're feeling today and you're receiving today just through this passage is a gentle, subtle, loving reminder that you don't have to act. You get to wake up, and you get to be you. And you get to realize that God Almighty woke you up to be you, not me. The world can't take any more me's. But it needs a whole lot of use. <laughs> that was fair. That was fair. <laughs> the world can't take any more me's, but it needs a whole lot more use. Because when we all wake up and we are who God designed us to be and we're not trying to imitate anyone else, he's going to give you specific dreams that's going to blow your mind. He's going to speak and pull things out of eternity that you didn't even think was possible. He's going to give you visions. He's going to meet you exactly where you're at. And the thing that you're struggling with the most, he's going to say, I know that too and I'm here. I'm the answer for that. And that alias that Satan's trying to project on you, to be this person or do this thing, you can say, no, I don't believe that alias because I'm a child of God. It's one of the things I, I like the most about that song that Jeremy wrote. Is it's just a reminder that I am a child of God. I'm a chosen one. I've been chosen by God to be me, not to imitate Aaron Havens. So church, be you. Let's look at verse 18. We're almost done. And by the way, you can tell I am just giving you highlights of these passages. Like you can go through for days and study these verses. And I, and I pray that you do. But if you don't, I'm just giving you my highlights for today. Okay, Emily? Is that okay? We're good? All right. I'm going to call you up here to finish it. Is that good? She's like, stop. Okay. No, we're good. Okay. 
When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Simon was more about power than heart change. He wanted power more than anything. Right? It's scary when people that are egotistical get power. Uh-oh, watch out. He wasn't about heart change. He believed it up here. He didn't believe it in totality. And so he said, how can I get more power? Oh, I'll use my power of money to buy that power to get more influence and more power. Watch out, church. Watch out. May you not be about you. May you be about the kingdom of God and loving others and fulfilling the great commission and serving as Jesus served. Like that's power. That's true power used in beautiful ways. Um. What I, what I think is interesting, if you look at verse 12 and you look at verse 22, both of those side by side, um, the, in verse 12, the good news about the kingdom of Christ is not enough. If we just as church get up here and I preach the good news about the kingdom of Christ, the good news about the kingdom of Christ, that is an awesome, awesome message. But if all you hear every week when you come here is the kingdom of Christ is good, he's a savior, he's loving, and that's all you ever hear, I've only given you half of the message because the other half of the message, and I would almost say one of the most important parts of the message, is the first word in verse 22. And what is that? Repent. Repent. There's a moment when you get to say the kingdom of heaven is beautiful and lovely, yes, but the only way that we're going to obtain that is realize that we are sinners, that we've lived separate from the love of God. We're not perfect. We are project. And entering this word in, in verse 22, the first word of repent. Repent. Turn. Turn from that. And when you begin to preach the totality of that message, there's a kingdom, it's lovely, it's beautiful, there's grace, but also we have to repent of our sins for the acceptance of that kingdom. That's the total message that the church today needs to hear. So, especially college people, because the probability of you moving on after you graduate from college to a different place other than Greeley, even though that would be a sin, (laughs) don't. We need you in Greeley, but the probability of anyone just passing through church project and you find yourself church shopping one day, which is the worst thing. I hate church shopping. But if you ever find yourself looking for another church again and all you hear is the the message about the kingdom of God, run. Because you better also hear that we are sinners and we need to repent. It's not about us. It's about aligning our life to the love of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, you are my Lord. The Lordship to Jesus in all aspects of our life. You can hear that as a bad message. I hear that as a beautiful message. The most beautiful message that you could ever hear is that because I'm dirty and because I've sinned, God loves me. And he says, I've given you a way to repent and turn from that. That's a love message not a blame message. That's a beautiful message. Amen? Okay, let's go to verse 24. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. He totally misses this message. He missed it in his heart, and now he's asking other people, would you pray to God for me that, that, I, that, that I would get this? Like, he's completely missing 
the message. He's missed it from the very beginning. There's no mediator between God other than Jesus Christ. And we, we have a direct relationship with Jesus Christ. And we get to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, go on my behalf. We don't have to go to Aaron Havens, thank God, and say, Aaron, go to Jesus for me because I'm an ugly sinner. And then I go and, and I go to Jesus and then Jesus goes to God. No, we have a direct connection with Jesus. And I thank God for that in my life. As your pastor, I will have to give an account for how I fed you, the sheep. That scares me. It Really, it, it, it scares me. That one day I'm going to be standing before God Almighty and he's going to say, Aaron Havens, I gracefully and graciously gave you wonderful people to pastor. Would you please tell me how you fed my sheep? And I'm trembling already thinking about that. That makes me not want to be your pastor anymore because what an incredible, incredible honor and duty and calling and it keeps me awake at night. I don't sleep well on Saturday nights, and partly because of that, I want to stand up here and give a full message that is a feeding message to you, that you would know and appreciate the love of God, and that I wouldn't taint that. I'm going to taint that, and I'm sorry. I'll do my best to feed you as properly as I can. I'm doing my best. At the same time, you can't blame me or others. Your relationship is your relationship. If you choose not to get busy with Scripture, that's on you, not on me. If you choose to approach Christianity haphazardly, that's what you're going to get. Don't blame me for that. I'm going to do my best to present the full gospel message. But church, if each and every one of us would wake up and take our Christianity seriously, watch out, Greeley. He's not getting it. He's missing it. He's asking others to go to God for him when he himself has direct access. Your faithful wife or your faithful husband, spouse, or best friend does not get you a punched ticket to heaven. You can't say my wife is a godly woman, so thank God I have her. I'm going to heaven. And you can't say the reverse. You can't say that about anyone that you have around you. Even your actions are not a punch ticket that gets you to heaven. Have you repented of your sins? And are you locking eyes with Jesus and saying, I want to be more like you? And when I drop the ball, which I will, God, please forgive me. I want to be more like you and get busy with your relationship with God. This is a total belief in him as our life is transformed. So church, my challenge to you today is not to believe this message. My challenge for you today is to believe and live this message. It didn't go well for Philip when he says, yeah, I got it. You know, I've even been to church every single week for the last four years. It didn't go well for him when he said that. And it won't go well for us either. What goes well for us is when we wake up, we lock eyes with Jesus, we repent when we need to repent, and we keep this about a relationship, not about a checklist of things that we can do and say to earn a relationship with God. Church, simple message. Here it is. Be you. Lock eyes with Jesus. We're doing that. Watch out. That's all I got today. Is that okay? Or you want me to keep going? Peter, what do you think? Are we done? We're good?
Yeah. You're like, dude, we're done. Okay, yeah, I believe, yeah we're done. All right, I'm gonna, I, I do want to enter into a time of reflection right now. So if you, if you, did I do something? I won't move. I, I think this is the most powerful part of our entire gathering this morning. And every morning, I say this every Sunday morning, is this is the time when you get to sit quietly with Jesus. Have no mediator between you and him. Lock eyes with him and say, God, search my heart. Search my mind. And I'd encourage you, if you're comfortable with it, just close your eyes. Remove all distractions from you. And you can even hold out your hands, just open palms up in front of you in a very submissive state. And just say, God, search my heart, my mind. I want to know who you are. If there's anything in my life that does not align with you and your commandments and your loving message, God, I take that, remove that. I put it in my hands right now and I give it to you. God, the way I judge people, my pride, whatever it may be, church, I encourage you right now just to spend a couple moments in silence just saying, God, search me. Is there any way that doesn't line up with the love, with the, the loving way that you've asked me to live my life? so I give it to you in this moment. So for some of you, it may be God awaken me. I don't know what I think about you. I don't know what my experiences are with you. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know if I even believe in you. God, would you make yourself real to me? Like, I'm, I'm humbly and I'm honestly just coming and saying, God, show yourself to me, even in this place. And I would say to you as, as your pastor that, man, when we approach God in that way, His Holy Spirit just begins to hover hover over you and compelling you to this love message and from my experience the only thing that keeps you from that love is yourself and so in this place would you say God I I repent of any sins I ask you God to be the Lord and Savior of my life and all aspects of my life show me how much you love me I seriously want to know God show me how much you love me and show me who you are For some of us, we're just going to say today, um, God, I thank you for creating me. Now, may I believe that you created the best version of me possible. And may I not try to act like anyone else. May I come alive. May you speak to me every moment of every day. And may I walk in this relationship, run in this relationship, enjoy this relationship. Not let it be a drain but it'd be something I experience every day full of life.